Second Samuel chapter 23. This is the seventh sermon in a series that uh, we have been in on Sunday mornings uh, titled The Heart of Kings. And we have been looking at the reality that God wants each and every one of His children to reign as kings and queens here in this life, in our earth. That we should be victorious no matter what we're facing. That we should have an attitude of joy. We should have an attitude of victory. We should remember at all times that ultimately the victory is already won. The outcome is already decided. And as God's children, we're on the right side. And that God wants to use us as His people to reach this lost and dying world for the cause of His sake. That we should be building His kingdom and not our small earthly kingdoms. And we have taken a look at the first two kings that Israel ever had. The first one being Saul. And we watched Saul's life just spiral out of control because he could not stay small in his own eyes. Because he could not learn to trust God that Total obedience to God is always best. He believed, as so many falsely believe, that partial obedience will get it done. That it's okay to obey God and good to obey God when everything makes sense and when you can see how it will benefit you, but when it doesn't make sense and it looks like it might be to your detriment to break the rules and to disobey God, Saul said, I'm going to do it my way. And ultimately, it led to his demise. We've been studying David, and we saw this blessed truth that there is a wilderness that God takes all of His great men and women through. There is a time of testing where we must be able to stand firm and say it doesn't matter what I'm facing, it doesn't matter if my life is confined to the caves as David's was for nearly ten years running for his life from Saul. We must get to the place where we can stay faithful to God no matter what we're going through, where we can bless His name no matter what we're going through, where the Psalms that He wrote and pinned down in many of those caves, we can truly sing and proclaim from the depths of our heart no matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult the situation. And the great news about the wilderness The great news about the testing in the cave is eventually it comes to pass. We discuss the reality. We know those times of David's life as his pre-king days. David didn't know that. For all David knew, Saul was going to reign another 40 years and he was going to live his entire life wasted away in the caves. But even though he knew that was a possibility, he was faithful to God and he trusted God. Last week, we saw that David's kingdom had finally been established. And we talked about the reality that God always accomplishes His Word. That when everybody thinks it's not going to happen, when everybody thinks, where is your God? Where is His return? Or where is God's promise in your life? God's Word is always finished. God always does what He says He's going to do. And when the time is on God's time, On His timetable, God accomplishes what He started. And we saw that last week. We saw David, a man after God's own heart, who had had, uh, went after Mephibosheth to show him love. 
and had looked for someone to show kindness to. And we looked at how God is that way with us, even though He's the King of all things. Even though God does not need anything, He wants us. He desires us. Even though we were unworthy, even though we were in the land of Lodabar, of no pasture, God said, wherever you are, I want to go to where you are and bring you out of that place so that you can eat at my table. And this week, we look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. I want to give you some quick background before I read the text this morning. David's kingdom is by far the greatest kingdom Israel has ever known or ever will know at this stage in time. There is not a kingdom that has ever existed on the face of earth that represents the kingdom of God as much as David's kingdom does during this very specific period of time. The reason that's important is because we can learn a lot about what God wants His kingdom to look like when we look at the king after God's own heart and we look at the way that kingdom functions. And this morning, we're going to do that in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It is a very odd reading this morning. And so, you can try to follow me if you want to. I promise you there is some uh, reason to the madness. But I'm going to read verses 8 through 38. And I'm just going to read about one word or one name from each verse. So, uh, you can follow me if you want to or you can just listen. But in 2 Samuel chapter 23 in verse 8, it starts out saying this, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joeshev, Beshebeth, and Tachmanite. Adino, in verse 9, Eleazar. In verse 11, there was Shammah. In verse 18, there was Abishai. In verse 20 was Beniah, and you'll also find in verse 20 that he was the one who had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. In verse 24, you have Asahel and Elhanan, and 25, Shammah, and Elika, Helez, Ira, Abiazar, Mabunai. Aren't you glad we don't name our kids these names these days? It's coming, alright. Not with my children. Zalman, Maharai, Helab, Ittai, Beniah, Hidai, Abialbon, Asmaveth, Elihabah, Jonathan, Shammah, Iam, Eliphalet, Eliam, Hezri, Perai, Egal, Bani, Zelek, Zerahai, and in verse 38, Ara, Garib, and finally, Uriah the Hittite. Now, I read all those names for a reason. And uh, I'll share that on my very last point today. But I wanted to read their names. These are David's mighty men. Names that most of you have probably never heard of. What I want us to understand as we read the list of David's mighty men, first and foremost this morning, is that it takes many people working together with shared objectives and goals to make a kingdom great. When we talk about David's great kingdom, the focus becomes David. But the reality is, without all the help that David had, there never would have been a great kingdom. 
Quite frankly, if you get honest and you, and you think about the word kingdom in and of itself, and you think about the idea of rule and reign, there's no such thing as a kingdom without lots of people that are part of the kingdom. Otherwise, it's not a great kingdom at all. And we see that David's kingdom, it was a great kingdom, but David was not the only person who had anything to put into his kingdom. In other words, it wasn't great just because it was David's. And the application to us this morning is this. Our God has a great kingdom. And He wants each and every one of us to be part of His kingdom. And for anything to be great, any kingdom, whether it be God's kingdom, and you can even break that down into uh, uh, churches, you can break that down into ministries, if it's ever going to be great, you can mark my words this morning, there will be a multitude of people who have the same heart, who have uh, shared interest and efforts for the same goal of making a kingdom great and mighty. My prayer is that we here at Crossway Church can have that spirit of unity rise up in us. We can have that spirit of awakening where we understand that if we're going to be part of God's great kingdom, if you are going to be part of God's great kingdom, you've got to do something. You need to be doing something for God. Just coming and hearing me preach, it's not all that God wants you to do. And in order for any ministry to be great, for any kingdom to be great, for God's kingdom to be the great kingdom God desires it to be, it requires lots of people who are willing to stand up, who are willing to, to speak up, who are willing to do what it takes to build the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things that made these men great, the first thing I want us to notice about these men is that they wanted to be like their king. These were David's mighty men. And a lot of them did really mighty acts. But as we studied the things that David did, the slaying of Goliath, the slaying of the 200 Philistines, the slaying of other multitudes, if you read through this list of the things that the mighty men did, there wasn't any of them that did anything quite as great as what David did. But there is no doubt that these men, they loved their king, they honored their king, and they wanted to be like their king. One of the stories in this passage tells us of three men who, uh, when David was in the cave of Adullam, and during the period of time when David was running for his life from King Saul, uh, David had just, in passing, he, he wasn't even really all that thirsty. It was more the idea of being kicked out of Jerusalem. And David said, I wish that I could just drink a cup of the water from Jerusalem's gates. Well, these three men overheard it. And they said, we're going to break through Everybody that tries to stop us, and we're going to risk our lives for a cup of water so that we can bring it to our king and give him what he wants to drink. And they went through, and they fought off everybody that tried to stop them, and they brought back a cup of water. And David took that thing and he poured it out. He said, I will not drink what you risked your blood for. It was an act of honor. But it shows us something about these men. They had deep, tremendous respect for their king. And the reason they were mighty and the reason they were great is because they had a king to look at. They had a king to try to model their lives after. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, we have a king. 
that we've got to keep our eyes on. This says, be like me. This says, look at what I've done and believe that you too can do the same thing through the strength that I will give you. As God's people, we need to understand our King came to defeat sin, sickness, and death. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to break the chains that hold us down. He came to break the yokes that were on our necks. And we need to understand that. We need to walk in that. We need to realize I am God's child and I'm going to be like my Master. I'm not going to be controlled by the things of this world. I'm not going to let the negativity of everybody that comes against me cause me to turn around and quit. But I'm going to go and if that path takes me all the way to Calvary and they crucify me and I die on Calvary's hill, I will die on Calvary's hill because I have a King that first did it for me and my entire purpose, the reason I live, the reason I breathe, the reason I wake up every single morning of my life is to be like Him and to show this world there's one true King. His name is Jesus Christ. He has imparted His life to me. I am not the same I used to be. I'll never be the same man again. I've been born again. I've been changed. And I have a point to prove that God alone can change your life forevermore. And you can see it when you see me. These men wanted to be like their King. Do you want to be like your king? God, help us to get our eyes on Jesus. Hey, come on, we're all people. We can get our eyes on people, can't we? Hey, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. But ultimately, our eyes need to be on Jesus. It can be bad if you're always looking at the negative. And you, and you say, well, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be faithful to God. I'm not going to do this or that because nobody else is. A good friend of mine, his wife says this. She said, I'd rather go to hell with, or I would rather go to church with hypocrites than to go to hell with them. Amen. We can look at the negative and say, well, I'm not going to get involved because nobody else is. Jesus got involved. Keep your eyes on your king, my friend. He got deeply involved. Jesus saw that you had a need in your life that nobody else could meet. And He said, I will lay down my life. I will lay down my soul. I will lay down my will for the sake of what is best for you and for the will of God the Father who loves you with such a love He refuses to leave you in that place. And then He said, follow Me. In other words, be like Me. Love the way that I love. Jesus said, a new commandment I leave with you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said, do it the way that I do it. You know, also, if we're not too careful, sometimes we'll look at people that are great uh, heroes of the faith and we'll try to be like them instead of just being like the Christ that is in them. You might not meant to be, you're not meant to be someone else. Not everybody's supposed to be like me. God made us all different for a purpose. He made us all unique. Each of us have our own uh, unique uh, God-given abilities and gifts to bring to the table for the, for the purpose of building His kingdom. And if we're not careful, you know, I remember when I was very young uh, in my faith, I'd only been saved two or three years, and when I would see God use a certain minister in a certain way, I would think, well, that's the way that God moves. And so I would try to imitate that. And then it wouldn't work for me. It, you know, it was like, well, it worked for Him. Maybe I'm not doing it as well as He was. And so I try harder and harder, and God had to show me, Joplin, you need to be you. I did not save you 
and empower you and fill you with the power of the Spirit to do the will of God in your life so that you can be this man. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And the reason that God used him the way I do, Joplin, is because he has learned to just be himself and trust me to do what only I can. So you need to do the same thing. Our eyes simply need to be on Jesus. We should desire to be like our King. We, we should have a hunger to represent Him in everything that we do. I say again, a kingdom is not a kingdom without a multitude. It takes lots of mighty men and women to have a mighty kingdom. And one of the things that amazes me, we're talking about the almighty kingdom, the kingdom of all kingdoms, whose king is the king of all kings whose ruler is the creator of all things that were created, whose, whose name is the name by which every tongue, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the kingdom we're talking about. And here's what blows my mind this morning. He wants us to be on His roster. He wants me, He wants you to be on His roster. You would think that he'd go look for a bunch of much more educated, smarter, more sophisticated, more successful people. But he stands with arms wide open to everybody, including the weary and the weak, including the worst of the worst. I was the chiefest of sinners. I was. One of the worst people I've ever met in my life is the man I stared in the face before I was ever saved. And in that mess of my life, when I was ready to die and I was contemplating suicide and I saw myself as a total failure who deserved nothing but prison or death, when I saw myself in that state, when the world stood along the side and agreed and said He'll never amount to nothing, God said, there's my man. And I see something in Him that nobody else sees. I can't understand it this morning, but I'm here to tell you the King of all kings wants you on His roster this morning as a mighty man or woman of God that's making a difference for the kingdom of God. What an honor. We need more committed men and women in the kingdom of God. You know what made these men great? They were ultra committed. And I want to say this morning, we need more committed men and women to the kingdom of God. People who their heart and their mind is made up. I'm not backing down. I'm not turning around. I'm not going the other way. Where else are you going to go? To whom else shall we turn? You see, that's what Peter said to Jesus when the multitudes forsook him in John chapter 6, in verse 66. The Bible tells us the multitudes left him. And he looked to his disciples and he says the same thing that he says to each of us this morning. Are you going to go too? Everyone else is left. Are you going to go? And Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? You're the one who holds the words of eternal life. I'm here to tell you, these men, they were David's mighty men. And we read about their amazing victories. But they were human beings like you and I. They didn't know for a fact they were going to come out alive in everything that they did. But what they knew was, if we don't stand up and fight, nobody else will. 
I'm going to get to Shammah in a little bit. But Shammah said, if I don't stand in the middle of this pea patch and protect it from the devil, he's just going to keep on coming back over and over and over again and destroying my people. And I would rather die in that field fighting for what's right than to live my life in the cave with the rest of the cowards. We need some committed men and women of God in the kingdom who aren't afraid to say, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to shine the light. I'm going to be connected. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be involved. I found this uh, in North Carolina. I don't don't know who wrote it. But it says this, I am a soldier. I am a soldier in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the Word of God are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the Lord's return, or die in this army in the heat of battle, but I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. If He needs me in the Sunday school to teach the children, work with youth, help adults, or just sit and learn, I'll be there. He can use me because I'm there. I am a soldier. I am not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up just to get me to show up. I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, Write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me to be faithful to my God and His church. I am a soldier. I am not a wimp. I am in place saluting my King, obeying His orders, praising His name, and building His kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to because I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. And if I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all of my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he will promote me to captain and then allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army of the Almighty God and I am marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching heaven bound and surrender is not an option. I am a soldier. Author unknown. That's the attitude that needs to rise up in the hearts of God's people. Amen? I'm telling you, the church, it needs committed men and women of God. 
we have become, now I'm going to tread on this lightly, but we have become such an entertainment society that we see the church uh, as somehow Christian entertainment. Most people don't want to get involved. They just won't be entertained. Most people won't come unless we entertain their children. They'll only come to the services in which we have games for their kids to play. What are you teaching your children? Is hearing the preached Word of God not important enough for them to come? Is it not important enough for you to come? What are we teaching them? we become such a group of people that we're not really committed to anything beyond do I get something out of it. God uses committed people. I can't guarantee that every service is going to be fantastic. I can't guarantee that every Sunday school class you're going to walk away from saying, wow, I learned something powerful this morning. can't guarantee it. But I can guarantee you this. You keep coming. You stay faithful. You stay committed to God. You stay faithful in all the areas of your life. And it pays off. It makes a difference. It really does, my brother. It does, my sister. It matters to be faithful and committed. I'm telling you, our children need to see it. They need to see moms and dads that are committed to the kingdom of God. But not only do we, when I say we, I mean the church, not only do we need more committed men and women in the kingdom, you need to be committed for your sake. You need to be connected for your sake. Not just for our sake. I'm telling you, when God does something, it's amazing. It's better for everybody involved. It's better for the church. It's better for His kingdom. But it's also better for you as an individual. You need to be around other courageous and committed believers if you're ever going to be great for God. You need to be around people who encourage you, who inspire you, who are willing to say the hard things, sometimes when the hard things need to be said, who are willing to challenge us when we need to be challenged, who are willing to hold us when we need help. But you need to be around other men and women of God who are faithful to God, who are encouraging you to do the same thing. I have seen so many people that... It's like they want to just put a toe in to see if it, this Christianity thing is really worth it. But they want to keep most of their life back and they want to hang out with the same old people that, that don't really have a deep faith in God. Some of them don't believe in God at all. And they hang out around those people. They're watching things that are contrary to the to things of God. They're listening to things constantly that are feeding the flesh and enticing the flesh. And then they find themselves thinking these things. Well... Maybe it's, who knows that that's really the only way? Who knows if, I mean, who's to say Christianity's right? I'll tell you who's to say Christianity's right. The empty tomb, that's who. It's common sense. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever died and then rose from the grave on His own power. Everyone else that's ever been risen from the grave was also through the power of Christ. That empty tomb is the single most important piece of evidence in the history of the world that says Jesus Christ is the one way. But be honest with yourself. 
Hey, you get away from people that are telling you the truth, encouraging you to be faithful to God, encouraging you to read your Bible, encouraging you to pray, praying with you when you're discouraged. Well, you get away from that group of people and you start hanging out around people that have doubts and fears and worries and, and, and they don't really believe and they're not real sure why you believe and your conversation's not really seasoned with salt. It, you, you might not be talking about terrible, horrible things, but you're certainly not edifying God. He's not part of the conversation. And you begin to see how you feel about your faith. It's not just that we, the church, needs committed men and women. It's that you need to be committed for your sake as well. You need to be connected to the body of Christ. It makes a difference. Now, I want us to notice something about these men. I've talked a lot about community. I've talked about the need for church. I've talked about the reality that a kingdom it requires a lot of people. Anything that's ever great will never be the work of one man. You can mark your words on that. It'll be the work of a multitude of people with like-minded purposes, with unity for the purpose of bringing glory to God and building His kingdom. But with that said, one of the things that makes these men great is that at some time in their life, all great men must stand alone. Against the odds when others would flee. That's what we read about these men. We see the three that were willing to face an army and fight them to get a cup of water. We see Benaniah who went by himself and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Who took down an Egyptian that was much greater in size and took his weapon from his hands. Great men and great women must learn to stand alone. It's a lot easier to stand in that place when you've, when you've been encouraged by the right people, when you've got your eyes on the King and you have a heart that wants to be like Jesus and that wants to, to stand in your integrity. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there will come a time in all of our lives when there's not, they're not going to be there. And the devil's going to find you in a dark corner somewhere and he's going to say, now let's box. Now let's see how your faith really is. Now let's see what type of man of integrity you are. Now let's see, uh, you know, let, let, let's see exactly where your devotion lies. There will come a time He'll find you there. And great men and women of God must have resolve that is deep inside that says, I would rather die here and do the right thing than to compromise on my God, to lay my integrity to the side, to sin against my God. If I've got to run out of this place like Joseph did, then let me run and let them call me a coward, but I will not give in and I will not sin against my God. I want us to look at Shammah because... In chapter 23, Shammah is probably the greatest example of what this looks like. Look at two verses, uh, 11 and 12 of 23. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. If you, re if you read the full story of Shammah, what you'll find out is that 
The people of Israel were in, in Shammah's specific little uh, neighborhood, if you want to call it that. They were planting their uh, peas, their lentils, every year. And when it was harvest time, the Philistines knew when harvest time would be. They kind of kept an eye on the crop. And when it was ready to be harvested, the Philistines would come and they would just wipe out all of the crop and take it back for themselves. And so uh, Shammah's community would be without their, uh, much of their food. They'd be without much of their crop. They, uh, and, and in many ways, it affected, just as our day and time does, affected every area of their life. Not just their ability to eat, but they couldn't sell any of it. Uh, it affected the church. They couldn't bring their tithe to the church. There was no increase. There was much decrease. The people's hearts were discouraged. And every time the Philistines would come, they would just kind of go and hide in their cave because they were afraid that not only would the Philistines steal our crops, they'll kill us too if we try to defend them. And so they just accepted. Here's what I want us to see this morning. Talking about the mighty men of David, the mighty men and women of God. They just accepted that the enemy was more powerful than them and the best way to live was to retreat to the caves and to refuse to fight. You see, that's what the devil wants us to do. I pray that this morning God's Spirit would speak to your spirit and you would realize one man who had enough courage to stand in the middle of that field, took out every single one of the enemies. It's not about our ability, folks. It's not about how small a number we are and how great a number the enemy is. It's not about, you know, the tide of the world's going this way and so we just can't fight it. It is about the fact that our God is a God who spoke the world into existence, who took dirt and made mankind out of a lump of dirt and breathed life into it. He is the Creator of all things. And if He is for us, then who can be against us? We need to get our eyes off of the people and the enemy that's coming to destroy the pea patch and get our eyes back on our King and remember that when we stand for Him, we can't go wrong. Now, that was the situation, and Shammah finally said, you know what? Enough is enough. I am tired of my family being destroyed by the enemy. I am tired of the devil coming into this place through the Philistines and taking what is rightfully ours, stealing right from underneath of our feet, taking food out of our mouth, and, 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 and just discouraging us to the point where we don't even want to plant crops anymore. And Shammah said, if nobody else is going to fight, I will. And Shammah went and says and stood in the middle of the field. I want you to get the picture in your head. The Philistines come. And it's time for the harvest. Normally there's nobody to be found anywhere, right? Everybody's hiding. Everybody's in the caves. It's a, it's a cakewalk. All we got to do, it's like taking candy from a baby. Just... Cut the crops, load them on the animals, and take them back home. And, and they get to the field this time, and there's Shammah standing in the middle of it. Now, I want you to understand something about David's mighty men. This is one of the most important things that I personally ever discovered about these mighty men. They weren't necessarily huge Six foot five, 280 pounds, rock solid muscle, ground and pound guys. That's kind of the picture we have because that's how big you'd have to be to do this. But none of their strength was ever in and of themselves. You realize Samson was probably just a guy like you and me. 
We see pictures of Samson, you know, and uh, he looks like the Incredible Hulk with long hair. He's tan instead of green, but still, that's our mental picture of Samson because that's what we think of when we think of guys that are so strong they can rip gates out of the ground. But understand, nobody ever said Samson's so amazingly strong because of how huge he is. You read the story of Samson, everybody say, where's your strength from? They, they, they want to know, how did you do that? It wasn't that he was incredibly huge and his muscles were massive. And then the miracle was that when they cut his hair, God made his muscles not work anymore. The miracle was that his strength was supernatural. It was from God. And he could do what other men his size and five times his size, couldn't do. I believe in the depth of my heart, if we had a real picture of Samson, he'd look like somebody here. And Lynn's teaching downstairs, but it wouldn't be Lynn. <laughs> but here, here's the point. I want you to understand something. What made these men great was not that they were some you know, super race of human beings that could achieve the stuff you and I can't. They were people just like us who had settled it in their heart with resolve that if God is with me, it doesn't matter. And I'm going to put this on God just like what David did when he faced Goliath. He said, it doesn't matter how small I am. It doesn't matter how big you are. What matters is, is that you're fighting against the living God and I'm on His side. That's what matters. And before this thing's done, you'll find out that's the only thing that matters. And that was the heart of these men. And so these Philistines, they come up on this field and there in the middle of it is some guy with a sword. No doubt they laughed. And no doubt, I, I do believe this. I believe this because these people were human beings. I believe this because, as we'll see, David eventually fell. He, had, he, he was a man like you and I. I believe this because great men of God like Elijah, who won the victory on Mount Carmel, we find that days later went in depression, hiding in a cave. I believe that somewhere in that man was a little bit of fear. Something that said, you know what? God doesn't show up. I'm going to die out here on this field. But I would rather die out here than to let this enemy think they can overpower God's people. And so, God, I'm asking you right now, you fill me with your power. And I give you everything I've got. It's not a lot. It's not much. But I do give you everything I've got, every inch of my body, and you just take over and do what you can. And those enemies charged him. And the Bible tells us that Shammah destroyed every last one of them. And that no longer did they come and steal the peace from his people. Shammah represents the man that's willing to stand and fight for what belongs to his family. We need men like that in our day and time. We need men like that in our church. Men who are willing to fight, first of all, for their family. We need to be willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my family 
in the house of God, in the kingdom of God, to raise my children in such a way they desire to be like King Jesus, to raise my family in such a way that they can look at me and say, Dad cares about God and the things of God. And out of everything in his life that he does, out of his hard work that he does to provide for us, out of his things that he does to keep our home up, that he does to keep the yard nice, out of everything that Dad does, the most important thing to him is keeping our family safe and secure in the kingdom of Almighty God. We need men who are willing to fight for their marriage. We are such a group of quitters. You know, men can be quitters too because we don't like to get our feelings hurt. And so rather than get our feelings hurt, we better just cut and run and think that somehow that's honorable. Men of God fight for their family. They fight for their marriage. I'm not telling anybody, unless you're newlywed, or unless you wait and get married, I'm not telling anybody here that something you don't already know. Marriage is not always easy. Marriage is the most important institution that has ever been made. There is no relationship on earth more significant between human beings than the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. And you can bank on it this morning that it is so important, that it is so pivotal to the family, to the church, to the glory of God, that the devil will fight your marriage with every last fiber of his being. You've got to have some resolve that says, I'm going to fight for this thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not going to let it fall apart. I'm not just going to just throw my hands down and say, fine, it's over. But I'm going to fight till my last dying breath if I have to to make this thing work. We need men like Shammah who will fight for their children. Jason's right when he said, as far as our culture and as far as history, the way that our children are currently taught in the public system, and I don't just mean school, just just the public system of this world, it is so anti-God, it is so against everything the Bible teaches, it is so relative to whatever you feel is right. I mean, our culture is messed up, people. We're living in a day and a time where states are passing laws that a boy who says he's a girl can go to the girl's restroom and a girl who says she's a boy can go to the boy's restroom because they've officially concluded that how you feel inside is more significant than how you are actually created on the outside. It is incredibly absurd. And this is the type of culture that our children are being raised in. I want you to understand something, Dad. Understand something, Mom. I'm not saying don't send your kids to the public school system. That's not what I'm saying. I said it's the public system in general. You can't just shelter them by pulling them out of school completely. But I do want to say this. Don't think that you can send them into a world for 40 to 50 hours a week that is contrary to the truth of God 
And then you show up at home, Dad, and just turn on the TV and watch it for three hours at night while they play video games and then bring them to here and let us teach them for an hour and a half a week and that somehow they're going to fall in love with God and grow up to be great men and women of God. That's not going to happen. You've got to fight for your children. You need to be connected to them. You need to know what's going on in their lives. You need to know their friends. You need to have their friends over to your place so that you can connect with their friends as well. You need to know what they're being taught at schools. You need to know what they're dealing with. You need to know, and you as their hero, if you will, as the king of their home, as the priest of their life, Dad, you need to be able to step into that thing and say, I'm going to lead us the right way. And I'm going to make sure that you know the truth and that you're taught the truth, that you're modeled the truth, and that I train you up and that I teach you how to live in a world that is contrary to what is true. We need some men like Shannon who will say it does not matter. It doesn't matter the tide of the culture. It doesn't matter if we feel outnumbered. I'm going to stand in the middle of the field. I'm going to fight for what's right. And I'm going to protect my wife. I'm going to protect my home. I'm going to protect my children. What else shall we fight for? Our devotion to the Lord. We, are, we live in such a fast-paced society. Understand that for thousands of years, and that's no exaggeration, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, generally speaking, you worked around the home. You worked within the community. People did not have... We've only had vehicles and transportation the way that we have transportation. Cell phones, computers for... Um, transportation the last hundred years or so, cell phones, computers the last 30. But for thousands of years, I mean, you worked around the home. You bartered. And consequently, it was a much slower pace of life. But now, the man and the woman, are they're gone from home almost 60 hours a week. And then you get home and you got to, you know, take care of the house and you got to get dinner ready. And before you know it, it's an hour before bedtime and you're just crash, ready to go, and, and you think, oh, I sure wish life would slow down, and I sure wish things would change, and maybe next week it will be different, but guess what? It's not different. It's just the same thing, the same routine. Listen to me this morning, child of God. Somewhere, somehow, each and every one of us has to draw a line in the sand. We have to stick our feet in the middle of that field and say, I'm going to be devoted to God. Somehow, some way, I'm going to be faithful in my Bible study. I'm going to be faithful in my prayer life. I'm going to spend time with God today because it doesn't matter if I do all the other things in the world and neglect the one who died so that I could be set free. It does take work. It takes conscious devotion. It takes a conscious decision to say, I will not let my prayer life, my devotion life go to the wayside because of the busyness and pace of life. And ultimately, the last sentence said, so the Lord brought about a great victory. You know, really, it's about God's glory in all of it. It's about wanting God to be glorified in my marriage. Wanting God to be glorified through my children. Wanting God to be glorified in my community. Wanting God to be glorified in my own personal life as, I, you know, as, I, as I'm learning how to feed myself through prayer and through my Bible study. Being willing to fight off the enemy and taking back what the enemy has stolen. Can I tell you, the kingdom of God is not all fluff. It's not all love and hugs. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just as peaceful and as great as it can be. But we are in a real war. 
with a real devil that wants to destroy everything that God's doing in your life. And to be a mighty man of God, to be a mighty woman of God, you're going to have to get to the place where you have some resolve deep down inside and you say, I'm going to go to battle. If I have to go to battle, I'm going to go to battle. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to be faithful to God. And I'm going to, and I'm going to stand for what is right no matter what it means, no matter where it leads me. At times it requires immense resolve. Tremendous courage. Because sometimes it's war. Two things and I'm done this morning. I'll be very brief. I want to say that there is a mighty man or a woman of God in each of us. There is. God wants you on His roster. And what you do for the kingdom of God and your role in it, it'll look different than my role. Thank God for that. Wouldn't it be real boring if everybody was like me? I was waiting for an amen. (laughs) Wisely, I got none. Ladies, wouldn't it be boring if everybody was like your husband? No, amen. She, She was thinking about it up here. But the point is this. There is a mighty man or woman of God in each of us. God wants to do something great in you. There's a king's heart that beats in all of us. Learning to let that thing rule me. Learning to let the King's heart that Christ has placed in me be my guiding factor is crucial to becoming the man or woman of God that God wants me to be. And as our worship team comes, here's the final thing I want to say. I told you I read those names for a purpose. I don't want to show hands because I already know there wouldn't be one. None of you knew those names. You know, you might have known a couple of them. You might have known a few of those stories. But if I would have asked and even offered a $1,000 reward for anybody that could do it without looking, anybody to stand up and name those 30 men before I got started, there wouldn't have been one person here who could name them. I read their names less than 30 minutes ago. And if I asked somebody to stand up now and repeat all 30 names without looking, there's not anybody that could do it, myself included. Number one, it tells us this. It's not about us. It don't matter how great you are. Your name's not going to go down in history and the whole world's not going to know who you are. It's about bringing glory to His name. That's the only name that really matters. Bringing glory to His name. See, that has to be the purpose of a united church, a united kingdom for God. We're here not to bring glory to us. Not to make this person look great or that person look great. Not to lift up this person's name or that person's name. All of us together are working together to lift up one name, the name of Jesus Christ. I want to say this. While we can't remember their names, God knows them. Every one of those men, God knows by name. He sees your work. He's the one that will reward. God does know. The whole world might not know. The whole world might not ever be able to remember everything you've done. You can't remember everything anybody's ever done in your life either. But know this, God does. God knows the names of those men and women who have exhausted their life on His battlefield. I ask you the question this morning, how will your name go down? 
in God's kingdom. How will your name be penned out, the story of your life, by God Himself? Father, we love You. We thank You for Your goodness and Your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that Your Word this morning would penetrate our hearts. I pray for resolve to rise up in the hearts of Your people. God, that we would have a hunger to be mighty men and women of God that make a difference for the kingdom, who aren't fighting for our own glory, who aren't fighting for a name for ourselves, but who exhaust our lives on a battlefield trying to lift up the name of our King. Lord, move all over this room in Jesus' name. So you thought you had to keep this up All the world